Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland Area Attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. Our top story this week is, once again, guns. On Tuesday, in a highly emotional speech, President Obama announced executive actions intended to expand background checks for firearms purchases, largely by broadening the definition of who will be considered a gun dealer. Expanding the definition will require more people who sell guns to register and conduct background checks on potential gun buyers. And I think the initial response was best summed up by an NRA lobbyist who said, this is it? Really? They're not really doing anything. Uh, which, and now that NRA lobbyist, I think, uh, was chastised, I think, for actually you know, committing the crime or the uh, indiscretion of actually speaking her mind in the case. And the NRA later, you know, later went with their standard, he's coming for our gun sort of thing. But I don't know. This seems like to me to be much ado about nothing. What do you think, Jay? Well, I, I think, you know, the, the, the old saw in Washington as a, as a gaffe is when someone um, accidentally speaks the truth. Yes. And that, that may have been the case in the, with the NRA lobbyist and someone who was on the inside and, you know, views things from a, a policy lens. And, and, yeah, this is it. So that, that was my sense on it. Um, the one thing I, I did find, and I don't, want, I don't know if – I don't think offensive is the word. Um, cloying is the word. Is, is the emotion, you know, he brings into it. And what troubles me is what he's doing would have absolutely nothing to do and could have done absolutely nothing uh, to prevent uh, deaths at, at uh, uh, the, the school shootings. Uh, I mean, it, it's really, again, it, it's, it's just marginal, uh, sort of changing things around the edges a little bit. Uh, it's making um, gun sales a little more difficult, a little more onerous uh, for, for certain sellers and certain buyers. Uh, but it's, it's not going to radically change anyone. It changed the, the landscape. Uh, and I think it's really, you'd be really hard pressed for anyone to say, well, now, you know, we're going to save lives, uh, because we, we've done this now, not to say that, look, increase background checks and maybe you, you catch the, the one guy who, who, um, you might not have caught otherwise. Um, well, and I think, you know, it's important to point out that background checks are something that are very extraordinarily popular. In fact, uh, in, a, in a poll conducted by uh, CBS, New York Times in October, 92 percent of Americans, including 87 percent of Republicans, favor background checks for all gun buyers. And consistently right. in survey after survey, around 70 percent or more of all Americans say they favor background checks. So this is something that has broad popular support, I mean something even much more than President Obama uh, proposed, would certainly, if we went by what the popular will was, this would be the law of the land, and it isn't. Right. Well, I would say even um, the NRA in the past, and again, I don't I don't speak for them, uh, but certainly in the concealed carry uh, situation, they were, they were really all for uh, background checks at one point, and sort of a the idea being that an instant background check is uh, preferable to the five-day waiting period under the, the, that used to exist under the Brady Bill. Um, so, you know, the idea that – I think the NRA, if, if, if pushed to it, would agree that, yes, uh, certainly felons and people who have been adjudicated uh, mentally ill 
um, uh, shouldn't shouldn't be uh, have access to firearms. Uh, but the, the problem is, um, again, background checks are are certainly well and good, but they don't really get to any of the the, the types of shootings that we've seen, uh, either San Bernardino or Sandy Hook. Um, That's a fair uh, or, point. That you're, you're absolutely right, but I think that they can potentially have an effect on other causes of gun deaths. Right. And, and, you know, and exactly now, and again, I understand my argument saying that they have they. Uh, it, it's sort of the it's it's you know not the the perfect being the enemy of the good. Uh, yes, it would not have prevented those, but and it's difficult in any circumstance to to measure prevention. Uh, and there may well have been um, shootings that were prevented because there right. was some bad guy out there who was stopped from from getting right. Death. How do you prove a negative a death a yeah. gun death that didn't occur because of a background check or or something or yeah absolutely yeah I mean and, and or just a. Uh, but but I guess the the other thing that's that's maybe I don't know what what troubles me is the tying this to uh, you know children being killed uh, and using that emotional button to sell something that's really kind of a bureaucratic rule change and, and not that big a deal and again it's sort of the hey I'm look I'm I'm taking action doing something sure. really brave uh, when really it's not it's it's uh-huh. sort of um, yeah, but of course, that's how politics works. As, as Rahm Emanuel, who's desperately clinging to his job as mayor of Chicago, you know, famously said, you know, you, you don't want to waste a crisis, essentially. Right. And right. and so this is an opportunity to do something. And you're right. It doesn't address the problem that everyone's concerned about. But the problem that everyone's concerned about is not really the main gun violence problem that I would argue we should be concerned about. And so uh, yeah, I think it is, you know, not a whole lot. And I wish there were uh, universal background checks. And I'm I'm joined in this by Bill O'Reilly, of all people. I so rarely find myself agreeing with him who went on the air this week and said that there should be background checks for everyone and that, and that the NRA should be reasonable and that background checks make sense. And, you know, most yeah. Americans agree. So I think here's an example where it's sort of hard for Republicans in Congress to argue that they're reflecting the popular will as opposed to carrying water for the NRA on this issue. Well, you know, something else, and this is this is where um, sort of the, the details really matter uh, on background checks. I mean, one of the, the big NRA objections and, and conservative objections uh, over the years has been the type of background checks and then how is the data used or stored. Uh, for example, uh, under the Instatech check system, uh, the way it, it, it's worked and is supposed to work is there's a background check done, uh, but that there is never a, a permanent record kept of the transaction. Uh, so for you're not going to have uh, de facto gun registration, which is very much what the, the NRA uh, right. would be concerned about. Um, and that, I mean, I was thinking about this, and that brought me to sort of a sort of a, a weird conclusion because another a friend of mine, conservative, uh, posted a picture of like all his guns on Facebook and and said, you know, hey, government, you're never going to take my guns. Um, and again, the irony of it just sort of was was sort of like, hey, you're you're telling the government you have all these yeah. guns, and well, here's the picture of them. And, well, you know, you're, um, in an era when when uh, the government can sort of read all our emails and and uh, we we post things on Facebook anyway. Uh, is registration the the invasion of privacy uh, that it that sure. it used to be? Well, I know you're you're familiar with the logical fallacy of the slippery slope. 
Uh, yes. You know, since, well, today that there's background checks and then tomorrow there'll be, you know, stormtroopers coming into our house, taking our guns and so forth. And, I, you know, I think that's what a lot of people don't recognize is that our political system is designed to thwart any sort of radical action. And that's that's a good thing. That's what conservatives would say. That is a good thing. And, and I don't think, you know, I actually do believe that President Obama would like to take people's guns in a sense. And so I, I agree that the NRA is probably right about that in some sense. If he could wave a, you know, a magic wand right. and remove guns, I think he absolutely would. But that's the beauty of our political system is that no one, whether he's a President Obama or a Donald Trump, can, you know, get into, get into office and unilaterally do these things. And I, that's, a, that's a great thing. And I don't think enough people realize it. And I think obviously the NRA is using this logical fallacy and using people's ignorance of how our system works to, you know, to, to drum up support and to drum up uh, gun sales. Well, it's, it's, uh, I don't know, you know, it's, I, I'm not sure that the NRA itself is drumming up gun sales. I think that's sort of They're doing what they can. It's, it's, I guess they'd say it's a happy, well, happy uh, side effect or something like that. I yeah. don't know. Um, I mean, that's more of a media thing, even like we always talk about, there's always the alarmist regardless sure. of, of how they're going to portray it. Um, well, but uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't say. And I wouldn't say it's, it's an entirely slippery, slippery slope. Um, I think there's a good argument that, uh, just on principle, you don't want you know government maybe ought not to have all the information on you that it does. Sure, and um, I think you're right. That but there's... again, my, my my thinking is in this day and age, is is that the concern that it that it used to be? Right. And I think you're right. There are legitimate privacy concerns, but I think that those things could be worked out. But we're not even at the point where any legislation would get to any point where it could be considered. So let me let me ask you this. Uh, One of the things that's come up in the last week or so is this analogy made between gun safety and automotive safety. And a number of people have pointed out that for the first time in, I think, maybe, I don't know, for a long time, that actually more people are killed by guns than are by cars. And not because not because guns have become much more dangerous, as we mentioned, gun deaths have actually gone down, but that automobiles have become much safer in almost everyone would agree because of government regulation requiring things like seat belts and airbags and so forth. And, and president Obama has made this, you know, made this point a number of times saying, if we can do this for cars, why can't we do this for things like guns, like invest in the technology, like, you know, where only the owner of the gun with fingerprint identification or what have you can use, you know, can shoot the gun and right. that sort of thing. Right. And it seems like this has just got people freaking out. Now, what do you think about that? Is that is that a reasonable analogy to draw? Not really, because, again, you have to look at the, the primary purpose of a car is to get you from one place to another. And the primary purpose of a gun is to shoot something or someone. Right. Um, and, and, you know, again, I, I think certainly there ought to be reasonable, uh, safety mechanisms. And I think, you know, there have been those, those things placed on the on gun manufacturers. Um, uh, as far as, you know, smart guns and, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know, and I'll say I, cause I don't know enough about the, the technology, how much it would cost, you know, how, how does it actually work? Uh, those types thing, those type of things, um, 
And I think part of the problem is that just like with a lot of safety innovations for cars, manufacturers aren't going to do it on their own because they don't have a they don't have a market based incentive to do that. It's going to raise their costs, and it is going to make the gun more uh, more inconvenient for for <laughs> well, users. Exactly. I mean, the, well, that, that sort of thing. I mean, I, I although I would I would argue that in many cases, um, uh, you know, cars you can market it towards safety, uh, and that the sure. consumers would be would be uh, looking for that. But if if you want to market a gun that you say this is the kind of gun that will be less likely to be able to shoot someone, um, that's not a real selling point. I see your point. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? No, yeah. If you market it in the sense of this is a gun that if your kid gets a hold of it, he or she isn't going to be able to, isn't going to be able to shoot it. That's that's a different story. Now you can right, maybe market right. guns that, for safety that that's way. That's different. But but it, when you're talking about you know smart gun and recognition technology and. Um, you know, have, have you ever had the situation? Well, look, look at this. How often on this, uh, on our little podcast, when we try to call each other, do we have some sort of technical glitch? Sure. That that just doesn't work. Now, you know, to market a, a, yeah. a smart gun and say, hey, there there may be a technical glitch in, uh, you know, not that often, but right. you've got no, the bad guy staring saying. you down and yeah. you have the gun in your hand and yeah. Yeah, it certainly. I think you're right that the analogy is like so many political analogies. It, it maybe on the surface seems seems reasonable. At least it seems reasonable to Democrats, probably uh, a lot of them. But there are some issues with it, absolutely. But there's no denying, certainly, that at least in the case of you know cars, that government regulation has made a real difference in safety and in terms well, of me, guns. Let me put in one one other um, piece on the cars. If you remember, there was also. Uh, plenty of lawsuits and plenty of discussion about uh, airbag safety. Oh, yeah. And and there were, were situations where airbags have caused injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, again, this is the law of unintended consequences. And I think anytime uh, government wades in to say this is going to make it safer, there are unintended consequences. Uh, and I think that's what we'll be looking looking at. And I, I just don't uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's a valid comparison. I guess to okay. to answer the the question succinctly. All right. Well, let's let's actually move on. Well, not really move on exactly. It's kind of a nice segue. Talk about more people with guns. Uh, just over a week ago, an an armed anti-government group occupied a building at a national wildlife refuge in Oregon, in opposition to what they view as tyrannical federal government. And yeah. The, yeah. The, the group is led by Eamon Bundy, who's the son of Cliven Bundy, who's a Nevada rancher who a few years ago engaged in a standoff with federal agents who attempted to confiscate cattle that he'd illegally grazed on public lands. Now, right. as far as I can tell, these people want essentially free grazing rights and the ability to manage the lands they see fit. But they're totally, in my view, off the board's legal argument is that the federal government's ownership of the land is somehow unconstitutional, which is a claim that they support by more or less waving around pocket constitutions that they carry on them like they're magic talismans or something like that. So I don't know. It's just what, what do you make of all this, Jay? Oh, you know, here's here's the thing of, uh, you, know, you know, what we really need to do, someone I read somewhere about this, about if we had a constitutional convention, would that be a good thing? Because oh, so God, many more no. people would learn. Well, I agree on, on the one sense, God, no. But um, so many more people would learn about what's actually in the Constitution. Yeah. Um, and what it says and what it doesn't say. Um, as opposed and, to waving and, it aloft like William Wallace and yelling freedom as you, you know. Yeah. 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 Um, 
from from everything I've I've read on the situation, and and I always qualify everything. Which look, that's uh, only my opinion is only as good as the information that I've I've gotten. But oh, but you get good um, information. I usually do. Yeah, uh, you have a highly some, informed opinion. I I, well, I try to. You definitely um, do. You know what the, their main beef in this case is uh, has to do with the sentencing of someone uh, who uh, was Hammonds. Uh, yeah. Hammonds, yeah, sentenced for essentially starting fires that spread onto federal property. Right. Now, they, they um, didn't just, they weren't just like fire starter pyromaniacs or something. They were doing this for, you know, presumably legitimate reasons, basically. Well, no, not, well, that's actually the, the issue that I think has been, been sort of covered up in this, uh, is the statute they were charged with um, requires that the person maliciously start the fire and damage, and uh, their claim is that this was accidental. But but the problem is, look, it, it went to a court and a judge and uh, and or jury found no, they they thought it was malicious. Um, and then now the now, go ahead. And now and then the the appellate court and the judge actually tried to give them the the uh, district court judge tried to give them a break on the sentencing. Um, and the court of appeals came back and said, no, look, it's a it's a mandatory sentence, and you 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 know, mandatory means mandatory. Which which um, to me it seems to me that to me this is a, a point about mandat about mandatory minimum sentences and I think exactly. that they're exactly, a pretty yes. bad idea for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um but but there's there's a couple things going on. First of all, um it, it looks like I mean listen, a, a jury found uh that these guys uh or this guy maliciously started the fires, maliciously caused the damage and he violated the statute. Uh, went to the court and the uh, court of appeals said, look, uh, statute says what it says. Now, it may be that the jury got that wrong. Uh, I don't know whether the underlying verdict was appealed or not. Um, that's something I'd have to look into. Uh, but there's, there's, a little, there's a little bit of posturing on both sides. And I guess it's, it's more the, um, the federal government uh, it sort of plays right into their, the hands of, of these folks. Um, kind of like what happened with the last Bundy standoff. Um, but in this case, it the, seems like they're taking a very hands-off approach. They don't want a Waco Ruby Ridge kind of situation, yeah, yeah. basically. Um, Apparently, these people can come and go as they please and so forth. And I know they're probably getting pizza delivery and all that kind of stuff, where some more yeah, hot— Sooner or later, they're going get, to get tired of this and, and go home. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, um, it, go ahead. Well, I mean, I guess it's a problem anytime someone seizes control of a building, and the fact that they're armed seizing control of a building is is different than, say, you know, if you want to compare them to the you know typical goofy student protesters or something like that who occupies the president's office, that kind of thing. Yeah, this is um, not how you this is not how you legitimately protest. But on the other hand, uh, some people on my side of the aisle are, are jumped in to start calling these people domestic terrorists. It just made me roll my eyes. I think that's a that's ridiculous. They're not terrorists. They're not threatening. They're not. They're not engaged in political violence. They true. They did seize, you know, a federal land, but they're not. The only. The only way that they said that they would engage in any kind of violence is if somebody tried to forcibly remove them. That's that's very right. different from blowing right. up a it, building or a shooting people of, or civil civil disobedience. Exactly. Exactly. Um, albeit armed civil disobedience. Yeah. But they're not terrorists. Um, yeah. You know, I think yeah. that's ridiculous, but that's well, refreshing. To, that's refreshing to hear from you. That's well, it. I just I just think it's important that, you know, we use these words, whether the word is terrorist or hero. I think we overuse these words, try to apply them to too much to score cheap political points. And then these lose these words lose their meanings. And I, I think that's yeah. a, that's a bad thing. So. Yeah. So in this case, I I agree that they're nuts. 
I agree that they're they're certainly not going about this in the right way, but I, I definitely do not agree that these folks are terrorists. Yep. Here, and, here. Yeah. All right. Moving on. What else you got going on? Well, you know, this. how about some good news? Okay. Why not? You know, some good news for a change. The December jobs report came out this week, and it actually exceeded expectations. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the Labor Department show, report shows that the economy added 292,000 jobs in December, and the unemployment rate remained at a low, low, low 5%. Even better, there's an even better, the report caps a two-year period of the strongest job growth since the boom of the late 1990s. But wait, but wait, Jay, there's more. Okay. The labor force participation rate, which, as you know, and probably most that's, of our that's listeners, my big sticking that, point. Yeah, yep. it, that's the percentage of the work age population that's either actively employed or looking for work. It actually moved up a little bit to fifty nine point five percent, which is the highest it's been since two thousand and nine. Now that's good news, but if you take a look at the overall trend, that 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 still looks kind of like a ski slope that started down around two thousand and eight. So, yeah. but still, that's a lot of positive news. Now, there is one negative thing I'd want to point out, and it's a pretty significant negative, and that's that average hourly earnings haven't budged. Uh, and over the course of the whole year of 2015, they've grown around 2.5%, which is around 1% below what the Federal Reserve considers to be sort of a healthy rate. But then again, right. inflation has been really low in 2015. It averaged, I think, for the year around half of a percent. So overall, this is... Pretty good economic news, wouldn't you say? Well, that's a lot of numbers. That is a lot um, of numbers. I just kind of threw them <laughs> no, all out the, there. The, the general, the, your general diagnosis is that stuff's generally okay. Uh, it doesn't seem to be getting worse. Uh, maybe getting a little better incrementally. Yeah, exactly. You know, this isn't a great. This isn't. I, I, I would, I would point out the bad news is uh, the stock stock market slide uh, of the last week to start the new year. Uh, which is, has the markets down, I think, you know, some 6%. Sure, well, um, based on what's going days. on in China. China's exactly. Sort of, well, yeah. I was going to get to okay, that. Okay, okay. I was going to blame that Obama. Um, no, I, that, that it's, it's based uh, largely on the Chinese decision to devalue their currency, um, which is something that we, we don't have much control over. Right. Um, uh, I think we, we can try to exert some diplomatic pressure, uh, economic pressure on that. But at the end, uh, the Chinese will do what the Chinese will do. Um, and that's generally a good I thing. It, I mean, it, point, it points out the, the, the extent that the sum that the, the economy is based on a whole lot of different forces. Absolutely. Um, and so often we, we talk about the, the market is waiting for the jobs report. And when we get a new jobs report, the market's going to surge or it's, it's down on that. In this case, we had a pretty good jobs report. Uh, but still dramatic losses uh, based on the uh, the Chinese situation. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's important to point out the interconnectedness of this. I mean, what China is trying to do more or less is to is to uh, remove some of the central control for their economy and let it respond to more market forces. And that's a that's a difficult thing for them to do. And there are going to be some bumps. And when you're dealing with an economy the size of China's, if you hit a little bump, that's going to affect everyone in the world, certainly. And well, so it's essentially that the Chinese have had sort of, a you know, like economists say, a bubble. And they are letting the air out of the bubble. Right. And uh, hope, hopefully it's, it's not so much a pop. It's, it's more a controlled release. Which is an argument against central planning in the first place because if yes. you – I mean so you know, if, you, if you certainly don't, don't try to control the economy that way, you don't have these 
at least the conservative argument is you don't have these bubbles develop in the first place. You might have more day-to-day fluctuations, but you wouldn't see these huge these huge problems. Without exactly, a doubt. But, in long-term. And, and I believe your long-term trends will be better. That's why I'm I'm staying in the market. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, certainly. I, we'll, we will ride this out. Um, and, of course, but, the market uh, isn't the economy as a whole. The market is one indicator. And, you know, what a lot of, a lot of Americans are concerned about is, you know, what, what, kind of, what their paycheck looks like. Now, and, and that, you know, that news, like I said, that's the one real troubling thing is that wage growth has been really sort of stagnant. Uh, and so while we've seen an overall economic recovery, it's been a very uneven recovery. And it's been. Although have, I think the other piece of the puzzle, hours worked, wasn't that also either down or stayed the same? I'm, I'm not actually sure. I, I think... don't have it in front of me, but my, my sense was that. Uh, you know, when we talk about people versus full time versus versus part time. Right. Um, and and I may be I may be wrong on that uh, because my my computer is working. Usually I can try to pull stuff up. So I, I know what I'm talking about when I look at it. But um, going from memory, I thought that the the hours worked, average hours worked, stayed about the same, which would indicate that the jobs being created may or may not be full time. Right. Right. Yeah, I don't have those in front of me either. But you know, it, it which that I will, which that I will happily blame on Obama. Yes, of course. Well, it's always <laughs> important to have something to blame on President Obama, even though presidents have a lot less control over the economy than most people seem to actually think that they do. So, but but yeah, like I said, in in the whole, it's moderately positive news. This, this hasn't been the sort of economic recovery that we usually experience after a major uh, a major recession, but uh, it's. Better than nothing, I guess. Correct, and 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 I think it, you know, there's also a weird sort of sort of factor, an X factor, that in presidential election years, uh, at least the stock market always tends to do very well. Um, the the reasons for that are often that uh, Congress and the president will do things that are sort of economy boosting sort of uh, sort of programs. Um, mm-hmm. There is sometimes, I guess, a a uh, hope over experience uh, type uh, situation where where people are thinking, okay, there's going to be some changes and that will be beneficial and, and that improves consumer sentiment. Um, I don't know, so I, I think uh, I, that'll be interesting to watch how things play out. Uh, we don't talk a lot about economics, and, and right, rightfully so, because we both know just just enough to be dangerous. Um, I think we know more than enough to be dangerous. But anyway, go exactly. Ahead. Uh, but as, as, as things continue to evolve with the Chinese uh, devaluation and, and a little bit, I mean, you could say uh, minor devaluation on our end by the Fed raising interest rates right? Uh, just incrementally, that's, that's really sort of the same thing um, uh, coupled with the presidential year and, and, and those kind of things. It'll be interesting to, to watch and see how this plays out. Absolutely. Uh, the Democrats have, have, have staked so much, particularly the, the Bernie Sanders wing and, a lot of them are, are Hillary followers on the whole uh, 99% inequality uh, type type arguments. And uh, uh, I think that'll be, be something that should just be interesting to watch. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, on Tuesday, as I'm sure you've heard, North Korea announced that it had detonated its first hydrogen bomb. And now right. while North Korea, of course, has had nuclear capability for almost a decade now, it's so far only conducted successful tests of so-called A-bombs, which is the type of bomb that the U.S. dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. did have some kind of an agreement with them that they weren't going to do that? I don't, I don't know. That, I, don't I, know that I we, digress. I yeah, digress. I think you did. Matt um, and Albright went over there and we gave 
I don't uh, know that Kim we Jong Il a basketball from uh, Michael Jordan, I believe. I don't know that. The, I don't um, know what we signed exactly, but I, I don't know that. The, I don't know the yeah. details of that. But in any case, uh, hydrogen bombs, of course, or H bombs, as they're sometimes called, but they can be hundreds of times more powerful than your standard uh, A bombs and. North Carolina, North North Carolina, no, North Carolina does not have you nuclear weapons. You wouldn't want them to have a yeah, no. either, I'd imagine. <laughs> now, North Korea's claim was greeted with skepticism by most of the world, though it'll be weeks before we have definitive evidence concerning uh, whether or not this test was actually uh, an H-bomb test, but most people seem to think not so much. So what do you think, North Korea, um, are they all of a sudden more dangerous, more of a threat now? I don't know if they're they're more of a threat. Um, I, I did I did read the initial thing. You know, they they discovered this through a seismological um, uh, disturbance that right. there was something a uh, five point seven Richter scale that they they blew up something that was localized. Um, so I'd say, look, that that sounds pretty bad. If it's if uh, whether it's an H bomb or a, a hydrogen bomb or or just a regular old uh, atom bomb. Um, Either way, it's not good. No, uh, it's sort of you know if if you got the crazy guy down the street blowing stuff up, uh, again, the fact that he's blowing stuff up isn't good, and the size of the explosive sometimes is not that important, particularly when uh, even an, an atom bomb, uh, Hiroshima size, uh, you know, can can. I mean, we're talking about the difference of of you know killing maybe half a million people versus killing maybe two million people. Yeah. I think. Am I about right on that? Um, but either way, the the stabilizing effect is the same. Yeah, it, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty difficult situation to deal with because of course the North Korea, the only the only reason that North Korea can exist in its current in its current configuration is because of support from China. And China's in a weird situation because they you know that they, they certainly uh don't want there to be a non-friendly uh, country on their borders. But on the other hand, they're dealing with this unstable maniac who's in charge. And, uh, you, know, you know, what do you do? I, it's, there aren't really many good, you know, really good uh, solutions. I mean, certainly we know that if worse came to worse, what would end up happening was there'd be a lot of dead North Koreans and South Koreans. And uh, no one wants millions of dead people because the North decides to go out in a blaze of what they think of as glory as their, as their uh, leadership you know, crumbles. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, one of the Chinese is the, the other concern of the, the Chinese would be that the more active North Korea becomes, the more provocative it becomes, the more it sort of invites or requires action from the West, uh, which the Chinese would would rather not see, uh, would rather retain that that sphere of influence. Um but if they can't control them, that's that's yeah. what they may, but I mean, may I guess, end up with. I guess my concern is that even if we push for more 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 sanctions and cutting them off even more, is if you put if you put a, such a dangerous person, such a dangerous leadership in a situation where they have nothing to lose, where you threaten their personal survival and their personal you know uh, power, what kind of crazy stuff will they do? I geez, I. I I don't really want to know that. So I think this is one of these situations where, like so many situations, we feel we have to do something. And sometimes, just like with you know the, the standoff in Oregon, sometimes the best thing to do is maybe not just try to jump in and do something when 
doing something might just make a bad situation worse. Um, no, I, I'd agree. I'm, I'm never one of these people who just says do something. Um, but uh, we need to keep keep an eye and, and keep, I would say, ratcheting up our, our presence and our pressure. <clears throat> and I think ideally, you know, what we, we do is is indicate to the Chinese that, you know, we, we are watching and will engage yeah. if, if necessary. I think it's important for a couple reasons. I mean, one, just there's there's been other issues with China, uh, ex- Chinese expansiveness um, uh, on these, these contested islands. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, there's there's always the you know the rumblings the Taiwanese rumblings and and I th- so I think it's important that if we want to maintain a sphere of influence in um, in Asia uh, that we say something and and at least be prepared to stand by our allies South Korea and Japan yeah. uh, I think because I think it's problematic too if we just kind of walk away and I, I think that also has the, the salutary effect of, of putting some pressure on China to do what they can. Uh, in regards to Kim Jong-un, yeah. which is probably more than what we can do. Definitely, definitely. The way I see it, North Korea is essentially the prostate cancer of the world, basically. You know, it's a lot of times that you want to jump in, people want to jump in and do something when it, when that's detected, but a lot of times the best thing to do is just watchful, watchful waiting. waiting. Yes. There you go. That's what, yeah. we need, what we need to do, certainly, and they, they certainly <clears throat> are a pain. Uh, but uh, with, with any luck, uh, uh, things won't go from bad to Worse. Speaking of bad to worse, at least in a fashion standpoint, uh, Marco Rubio has gotten uh, some media attention this week for his uh, fashion choices, which some people are questioning. His shiny boots. Have you seen Marco Rubio's shiny boots? I did. These boots are made for walking. They yep. were certainly uh, very impressive boots. Uh, you know, a, a big deal. I don't know. I guess because while candidates, male candidates, have worn boots before. They tend to be manly cowboy boots as opposed to what some people are calling right. beetle boots or um, some people said <clears> they're kind of like the boots that Prince used to wear back in the day. I don't know if he still wears those boots exactly, but uh, apparently they, they are actually Florsheim Duke boots, okay. which you can pick up your, uh, if, if you care to, to emulate Marco Rubio's style for the low, low price of $135. I don't know. If That's he, pretty reasonable. You know, yeah, I think so. So. Keeping it real, yeah. I think so. Florsheim, it's a kind of good, solid American sort of name. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and some people say, well, this is this is silly. And, of course, it's silly. But I, I don't have a problem with it. Every once in a while, it's kind of fun just to, you know, pick at something like this. And I guess it's kind of nice. Some feminists certainly were saying this, that it's sort of nice to have the – am I going to say this? Oh, my God, I am. The shoe on the other foot. Right in the oh, sense, dear, oh man, God, I know it just came to me, and I said I shouldn't say this, but I did. I did that. You know, so often female candidates are singled out for what they're wearing and how they look, and it's kind of a refreshing change, maybe a positive sign that we can we can be just as ridiculous about what male candidates are wearing. So I didn't have a problem with Marco Rubio's boots. I, I certainly don't like his positions. I'm not going to go out and buy myself a pair of Duke boots. But hey, if he wants to wear high heeled booties, I say. Have at it, Marco Rubio. Well, I'd say I still like his positions. I'm not crazy about the boots from uh, just a, a fashion position. I'm, I'm a more of a traditional, um, uh, you know, penny loafer uh, or sort of black uh, lace-up shoes. Um, but, uh, you know, there's something about our, our politics, and I think it's just, you know, human condition, that uh, we need to look for sort of the silliness and the frivolities uh to, to make these people real and to, to realize they're, they're real people too. And uh, I think it's probably, I think it's probably healthy to kind of make fun of 
Marco Rubio's boots and, and uh, Donald Trump's hair. And uh, I would even go so far, and this may offend some, but Hillary Clinton's pantsuits uh, because it, it, it humanizes and it uh, sort of brings, brings everyone else, brings them down to our level. And uh, part of what we are always concerned with is sort of the silliness of, of, uh, of life. And, you know, that's part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree. All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks for well, listening. You know, oh. I, like, I, I do want to mention one more thing. Okay, this please is, go ahead. I don't ahead. know if it's going to make a difference to, to our listeners, but uh, politics guys lost a, a, a good friend uh, this week, uh, Tom Olak. Yes. Who is uh, someone who we went to school with, uh, uh, was a, a political science uh, major, uh, ran a small business, um, but he was very much, uh, I guess, the, the perfect Reagan Republican. Absolutely. Uh, he was a perfect, wonderful optimist. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, so much of what we do here, I think, uh, you know, I, I, you're looking back, he had a, a big influence on me uh, in terms of how I view politics and uh, that he he was someone, a, a I'd say a bleeding heart conservative in the sense that he really very much wanted to to make his community and his world a much better place. Uh, he engaged in uh, debates and discussions in a happy, fun sort of way and not a, a mean-spirited, I, uh, I antagonistic re- way. I um, recall more than once him sort of pulling me back, being sort of a leveling uh, influence on me, as you know, during those days. I tended to go off the deep end yeah. on a fairly regular basis, actually. And he <clears throat> he was definitely a, a calming influence uh, very active and and you know good natured like you said and uh, just really uh, kind of the epitome of what we hope uh, what we hope a politically involved and active person in, in his in his community in his country uh, a great guy who's going to be sorely missed by a lot of folks yeah yeah absolutely and and uh, we could uh, we could use more uh, more like him and, oh my god yeah uh, again it's it's one of these things that that uh, when I heard of his passing it sort of you know maybe you ought to you know, rededicate my life to be trying to be more, more, more like, uh, more like him and, and, uh, share and, and, uh, promote those virtues. It so, would be a far uh, better well, well, world. I guess, yeah. yeah if I just wanted, us... to, just wanted to put that out there. No, I'm you're right. Sure how many other yeah. of our, our, uh, uh, alumni friends listen to this, but yeah. Yeah. It'd be a far better world if more of us were like Tom Olak. No question. Yep. So, all right. Well, that is it for this week's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, or any questions for our Ask the Politics Guys podcast, which comes out every Wednesday, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. Our Facebook page, where Jay and I post and comment on news articles throughout the week, and where you can comment, too, is facebook.com slash politicsguys page, one word. So check it out and maybe give us a like. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.